0: Welcome to episode 75B. Today, the legendary Rigi Rapman joins us to talk about her book, Literacy Essentials. Welcome to the Teaching Multilingual Learners podcast. This podcast celebrates teachers who answer the calling to serve multilingual students and their families.
1: Your beautiful smile, your beautiful Shine your beautiful smile, your beautiful life are waiting for you to shine bright. It's never too early or late to start to rise up and shine if a
0: cloud has. Do you ever feel like you want to leave a teaching profession or ever think about not renewing your contract and just leave teaching altogether? At times I feel the same way. And when the storm clouds gather above my teaching career, I feel like I need a pick me up to remind me that what I'm doing and why I'm called to do it. Well, if you feel the same way, then this episode with the legendary Reggie Routman will do just that. It will inspire you when you want to give up, celebrate you when you question your practice and lift you up when you feel undervalued. Yes. Reggie will talk about literacy practices, But she will also talk to your heart directly. Now on to today's podcast. I am back again with the one and only Regie Raupman. I need to first apologize because I was schooled by the Twitter community on who you are, Regie. I because I think you're in the mostly in the elementary school world and I was mostly in the middle school high school world so my world was consumed by um, Kelly Gallagher and Kylie Beers but you're the their equivalent in the elementary school world people came on Twitter and one person said this is gonna start off the podcast is wonderful it's gonna start off sad because the interviewer didn't know who Rigi was and then someone said yes Rigi has taught more kids to love reading and writing than anyone out there, and
1: so. Well, that's kind, but I don't. Think that's true. <laughs> well, <laughs> I, I credit and a lot of fabulous teachers. That's or, very generous, well, Rigi. I
0: actually did get to see that you podcasters, you, you don't know, but uh, Rigi just gifted me uh, the wonderful gift of a book called "Outside Inside" by Liu Yingfan. And I was like, she read it to me. And I said, wait, wait, can you read it to my nieces that downstairs? And we took the laptop, we ran downstairs and I gathered up and on and we sat down and I introduced them to Regie, And then she started reading the book to my nieces. And it was a magical experience to see a master teacher at work. And the kids were like, the kids wanted
1: to keep talking to you. Well, well no, the magic is the book, as you know. If you have a great book, and I wanna give credit, it was Megan Sloan, a colleague of mine in Washington State who told me about the book and said, you have to get it, right? <laughs> and that's how I hear about a lot of children's literature. If somebody tells me about a book, but the book did the magic because the book is sensational.
0: <laughs> what did you, uh, so, so you, read the, you read it to the kids and then you stopped throughout the pages, but not every page and once in a while you would say, hey, is, did you experience this? Or, oh, where did you think the people went? Oh, what if you, do you think this story is about a cat? Well, let's find out. So can you, I thought that was really masterful. Can you tell us about that?
1: You know, it was all intuitive because I knew we didn't have a lot of time. But I think, you know, I think we worry too much about reading aloud. If you have a great book, the book will guide you. So, um, and this is a book that is applicable for preschoolers, or I said I would read it to superintendents of schools. No, it has no age limit on it. So that even though you see me in the elementary world, which I am mostly, but the process of expert teaching is the same. Right. In fact, it's very beneficial to bring, I know a superintendent who did this, he brought some of his high school teachers down into kindergarten. Wow. Yes, because if a kindergarten kids can write, and put an exclamation point in and, and and tell a story and are all engaged and excited and sometimes at high school they're having you know a problem with that <laughs> but the reading aloud no I didn't I didn't I always read read the book of course you read the book but you know the first section of my book is on engagement and that's how I engage kids almost all the time when I don't know them I bring a wonderful book and then they're hooked Now the teachers, to get the teachers to trust me, that takes a few more days. You can't do it in one read aloud, but with kids, one great read aloud and you can do it. And so we should probably say something about the book because it's just an amazing book. You're all gonna wanna go out and get it, outside, inside. And I can't pronounce the author's name, but you can, because she's born in Vietnam. Vietnam.
0: Yeah, (laughs) Ying Pham.
1: And it's about the pandemic and COVID-19 and COVID-19 and pandemic are never mentioned. And so it's, it's, it's very wonderful. I'm not gonna say more than that. Um, and so I think we, you know, sometimes when we read aloud, we, we do too much with the book. We stop and we break up the flow and just let them hear the language, right?
0: Right. So how would you continue the, if, if this was a lesson in, in class and oh. we just saw the reading part, how would you continue it with my nieces if they were in front of you in class?
1: Well, I would get them to talk about what was it like for you um, outside in the pandemic? Did you have, were you wearing a mask all the time? What was it like when you, you know, did you miss your friends? What was it like for you inside? And write about that. And even in high school, do a quick write, do a quick write about, you know, what was it like for you? Um, I have a high school, a, a granddaughter just graduated high school and it was really difficult not to see friends this yes. is her last year in high school right? right so she could write about that and then i would i would model my writing first i would do my you know sort of demonstration writing first and we would talk about what it is that you might write about you know I, if i'm in an elementary class, you might call the, kid, the kids kids would be gathered very close around me of course um and we might, we might do a shared writing first, you know, because you made me aware of the fact that a, a lot of our audience today are multilinguals, people that are teaching multilinguals. So especially when you're teaching second language learners, you want to be sure they have the vocabulary and the concepts so that they know exactly what to do at comprehensible input. So I would make sure that they had that. We would, we would do it one together, even if it was virtually like via Zoom, right? Um, I think so much of of, um, uh, this is going to sound simplistic, but so much of good teaching is really common sense in terms of, you know, if the kids are wiggling around and they've got to either you need to change, change what you're doing or give them a little break. You know, it's not it's not as hard as we make it. And a big part of, um, you know, my latest book, which we're going to be talking about at at your request (laughs) Is, is all about that. It's about how do you simplify teaching? It's certainly not simple to what's most essential, right? And and that's true for, you know, for living our lives too. I always, I think about, um, and that's why there's so many stories in the book that it's not just about what goes on in the classroom. You have to have an interesting life and bring that into the classroom.
0: Right. Right. And I mean, result-
1: I, that today, you know.
0: I mean, you brought- what
1: happened was I sent the book as a gift and then um and then he waited to open it and then once he opened it I had to read it to him and we did that before we started this podcast <laughs> but it was really fun
0: it was a gift to see it was a gift for my
1: nieces i loved seeing your nieces and they were so enthralled
0: <laughs> but i got to like watch a master teacher like bring kids virtually you're you're in washington and my nieces are in philadelphia and mm. it was like you being in the same room with each other Right. And that's the power of your of the book, but I, I it's really the, also the power of the teacher.
1: I, I think the power of the book. Don't let's not underestimate that because one of the things that I did not do, partly because we were on a time you know t- time crunch, I didn't ask a lot of questions. And what did the author do? And what do you think this? I think sometimes that breaks the flow. And I didn't talk a lot about the illustrations. And if I did a second read or I had more time, I would definitely focused on that, you know, because those were powerful. I think the most important thing is make sure you've read the book first (laughs) and then let the book guide you with the questions, really.
0: Well, on another on a a tangent, a very connected tangent, uh, you've really guided us through your latest book, Literacy Essentials, and The way that I see it is, it's as if you've taken 40 years of work and have sat down with teachers to say, okay, after everything that I've done, all the books that I've written, all the workshops that I've given, all the times that I've been with teachers and students, these are the most essential things we need Mm -hmm. to remember. So would you tell us, what was the seed for this book?
1: Well, I've been teaching a long time, <laughs> so and so um, I I've learned a lot. I mean, I still have a lot to learn, but I've learned a lot, and I I wanted to do another book that kind of put everything together that I knew, and that would be. It, it is a kind of a big book. Um, we should say it right out front. It's about four hundred pages, but it's very easy to dip into and yes. and and write and and you know you can go for the superficial or you can go for the deep they're both there in the sense that there's lots of actions that you can take it's very practical and i would say it's easy to read because i'm a teacher and i respect everybody's time it doesn't read like a textbook right um and it's and it's and i interwove um this is really important to me stories personal stories and professional stories, but the personal stories are always connected to teaching and I make that connection for you. Um, And so kind of the best of what I have learned over many decades. That was my 12th book that I've written and um, and probably my most comprehensive in terms of um, how do we ensure that all kids learn and what does that mean and, and what does it take? And so I did. Um, The engagement part, I would say in the equity part, and especially the equity part, were the most important to me. Excellence, we've been talking about excellence in teaching for a long time. And and so I knew how to do that, but the engagement part and the equity part, I think that's where we fall short. They all go together. So let me talk a little bit about, um, in in terms of what do we mean by engagement. One of the things that I learned, and a lot of this came out of, I've been doing, I did residency work where I'd go into a school and take over a classroom. I did that for several decades. Just recently stopped doing that because of COVID. And, um, and I would go, and all of these were high poverty schools and all of them had um, large second, um, all multilingual populations. let me just say it like that. And I always saw that as a gift, not as a challenge because it made the classroom environment so rich. But the schools I was going into, there was no joy um, this, in, in teaching and learning for the teachers or the kids. That's why they had me come in. And mostly it was because the test scores were low. <laughs> but And I was working with my colleagues, uh, Sandra Figueroa and uh, Nancy McLean were working, all of us, in three different divisions in, in Winnipeg and in the U.S. And again, schools where the kids were low-performing, expectations were very low um, on what the kids were what they believed that kids were able to do. And we would come in and work our magic. And the magic came from the high expectations because we didn't know the kids. So we just assumed they could all learn and they were smart and that came to be true. <laughs> we didn't know who the ones were, that were labeled, you know, learning disabled or behavior problems and don't tell us or we're not coming and don't leave them out of the classroom or we're not teaching. And so guess what? We didn't, we didn't have behavior problems ever. <laughs> we didn't uh, find out sometimes until the end of the week who the kids were that were quote, learning disabled, which I prefer to call differently abled. We're all learning disabled in some way, right? Right. And so it was such a joyful experience. And um, we would be there for a week and start off with what I call the optimal learning model, um, which, is, which is based on the gradual release um, model. Um, by Pearson and Gallagher from 1984, where my model is a little different. So I see it as being totally learner focused and in, in, in the question that I'm asking is, what does the learner or group of learners or te- teachers as learners, what support scaffolding demonstrations do they need so that they can do what we're expecting them to do and be self-monitoring, self-regulating and independent? And so I would start off as did my colleagues with the classroom of 30 kids. And then we'd have 30 teachers observing um, and including the principal and the superintendent wow. of schools. Um, and and they, would, they would watch me or my colleagues do a lesson. And, um, and it very much started with demonstration with all the kids around us, demonstration writing, demonstration reading, um and also a heavy emphasis on content now i know you teach social studies right. well they weren't getting social studies in science because everybody was so freaked out about the test scores and how are we going to get the test scores up and so you had this focus on all the bits and pieces in reading and writing which completely disengages kids which is no fun at all right,
0: right. right.
1: and so um, most of the um, the books that we brought in after a while were nonfiction books. We always started with a book and it would be a nonfiction book. And, and the one that, we, that I read to you and your nieces is essentially nonfiction, right? Yeah, right? Because uh, your second language learners and all kids, that, and especially kids that are struggling, they were not getting the academic vocabulary. So much of the work was dumbed down. And exactly what they need is that high level vocabulary, that language. I learned from Don Haldway, who was my most influential mentor, oh, many, many decades ago, don't worry about the language and how difficult it is. The kids will get the essence of the story. If it's a really good story, they'll get it. And just get the language in their ears, you know, not the bits and pieces. So, so important. And then as the week went on, gradually the teacher would join me in the teaching. So it would be just like what we would do with kids. We'd go from seeing the demonstration to shared experiences. And that's the part that I found was most missing in schools. It was pretty much, here's what it looks like, even if high school is even worse, right? Here's what it looks like. I'm gonna show you what it looks like, either I'm gonna do it or I'm gonna show you somebody else who did it, now go do it. And that doesn't work well, except for your straight A students who, who would be straight A no matter what you were teaching. And so that whole, um middle part shared experiences which really has two parts to it um, this was missing in most places and the two parts are and this is so important for English language learners or multilingual learners um, the teacher in in let's say in shared writing and shared reading this is so so important um, the teacher is holding the book or the pen so the teacher is in charge so if you're doing a shared writing and let's say we took that book outside, inside, and and we've gotten together as a class. What changed for us this year? What what was it like for you when you're inside? And then call on kids. Jocelyn, what about you? Kim, what about you? Uh, Diego, what about you? And then do your shared writing, and they're watching you write. And of course, on a high school level, it's going to be a lot higher level, but the process is the same. Now, because the child does not have to do the actual writing or the actual reading they're free to give their ideas, that's what they want. But all of that has to happen in a, in a culture of trust, which we'll talk about. Now, so I'm holding the pen. Now in guided reading, which is still a shared, the child is in charge, the child's holding the book, the child's holding the pen. So this is, this is really, really important because what happens in guided reading a lot is that the teacher is still in charge. But if you've done, a, and they're supplying all the words and doing most of the work, if we've done a really good job on the demonstration, which would be reading aloud and um, watching, let's say you're something you're studying in social studies, which might be, um, well, climate change for sure, right? Yes. So we're gonna read about that and what's happening locally in climate change and what do we need to know and what can we do about it? Like right now in Washington state in today's paper, they're just, a, you know, we have a drought. Now that's gonna surprise some of you, I live in Seattle. So what can we do? Well. I can you know, run the dishwasher less, I can shorten my shower. I mean, there's a lot of things we can do and that we must do and bringing that into the classroom, teaching your reading and writing through that. So it's very, very authentic. And then as I'm there for the whole week, this is really important. You're working with kids day after day, so there's time to confer with them. And so I'm doing that modeling for the teacher and then the teacher is gradually taking over. Very similar to what, um, you know, what we want teachers to do, I'm modeling that for them. And I found that was a missing piece. So people would read my books and many, many other books and I'd go into a school and I would be shocked that they didn't know how to teach. They had to see what it looked like. They had to see what it looked like. And then because of that, my colleague Sandra Figueroa and I and others, we we spent four years developing a um, professional learning projects And so if you go to my website, regirautman.org, that's published by Heinemann, you see that there, um, where you actually see this teaching and hear the language of it, Um, the teaching moves are analyzed. So how to put that all together in a book was what I was thinking about. My other big learning lesson over like 45 years of doing this work is that it was very easy to get a teacher, uh, several teachers, just outstanding in a school, right? But then they leave, <laughs> and then things kind of fall apart. Or you have this great principal, and then the principal retires, and then things. And then they. And then the the district, in its wisdom, I'm putting that in quotes, um, will put in somebody with seniority that might have been a phys ed teacher. And meanwhile, you've done all this great literacy work, and this person doesn't know literacy. They're a very kind person, but things kind of fall apart. So how do we? It occurred to me that, and I had studied the change research, and how do we sustain this? And it has to be school-wide. So that's why that, what I developed with Heinemann, the video, it's video-based so that you can see what the teaching looks like. It's over time. You see kids and teachers over time. But I learned that the culture was everything, and that's part of the engagement. So what do we mean by that? Starting, starting with, um, and I'll talk a little bit about how the book is is um, divided. So the first part is engagement, and I want to read you my, I can find my definition of engagement because it's not having kids just quiet, right? Okay. By engagement, we mean the attention, commitment, and eagerness learners show in inquiring, creating, and responding to a question or a learning opportunity. Students and teachers who are engaged will risk failure, make their voices heard, work well with others, and seek to go on learning even when they face challenges. As referred to in this book, engagement is always connected to significant and authentic work that captivates the intellect and stirs the heart and mind. To be clear, engagement is not about compliance, complacency, following rules or listening without an opportunity to participate. And so to how do you create that culture, where people feel valued, I would say even loved, right, and joyful. So what people would say, after I had left, and it was true for my colleagues that were doing the same work. At the end of the week, they would say, you were having such a good time with my students, you were joyful. I mean, the week was joyful. I mean, people were exhausted. Actually, the we were never exhausted. We, my friends, Sandy, Nancy, and I, because we were having such a good time. Right. But the, it was such a change that, you know, you could have fun with the teaching. You could get the kids engaged with authentic work that really mattered. You could take the standards and the curriculum and transform it in a way that was relevant to kids, no matter, you know, where they came from. You could change the trajectory of their lives, right? You know, you could get rid of all the labels. We didn't know what the labels were, thank goodness. You know, I mean, we all have a label. We all have our, our, our quote, disabilities, right? So in the engagement, um, the engagement has four sections to it. Developing trust, and this is all what creates the culture. Celebrating learners, creating a thriving environment, and teaching with purpose and authenticity. So let me just talk about that a little bit. And I'm gonna say also, and Tom will tell you this: this is not what we planned, right? <laughs> I spent a lot of time planning, and he sent me a bunch of questions. And and you know, this is what we do, but hey, I'm just telling you, you ask me one question and then I'm answering many questions at one time. But the thing that I learned is, you know, people's eyes glaze over when you talk about culture. Oh, I know I don't want to know about culture or climate. But that's everything. Right. Because what happened in these schools were the culture became so trusting. Teachers were in and out of each other's rooms. They were The teacher was a collaborator and a colleague, not very much an evaluator, evaluated when they needed to be. But that was a very small part. Right. A big part of what we did was we modeled learning walks and instructional walks. What is the language that you say to a teacher when they're doing a lesson? and you start with their strengths you start with what what are they doing well you start with their strengths and you start with their interests this is where we start with the kids um so that culture that developing that trust is everything and it's a celebration culture it is wow did you see what so-and-so just did today it's amazing last week he couldn't write his name and now he's got the you know first three letters it doesn't matter. You, it's, it's, a, it's a shift in the mindset that you are seeing um, people as having their strengths and having strengths. And you have to get to know them and you have to find out what they're interested in. And then you go from there. Now, you know, Ton, and maybe some of our listeners know that I've spent the last 14 months, I'm tutoring an adult male to read. He's 53 years old. He was not a reader. He had never read a complete book. Um, that's a whole other story, and and I have um, it's actually the last keynote that I did. I talked about that, and that's on my website if you want to see that on the on the on the homepage. But um, he could not read much, and probably if he had a label, it would be dyslexia. I don't know. I never found out. I never asked. I I just knew. I've learned people will tell you what they want you to know. Yes. And he didn't tell me much. <laughs> He didn't want me to know much. And that was a good thing because I I knew I was going to teach him. I'm a reading recovery teacher. I've been a reading specialist. I'm certified to teach learning. I was going to teach him, but I had to get to know him first. Right. And so what are his interests? You know, he was interested in music and rock music. He was interested in true stories of people that have struggled. And um, that was where we started. I had to build a culture of trust with him. I had to celebrate what he knew, found out how smart he was. You know, he listened to national public radio, um, he follows the news. And so I had to dignify his intelligence. It's the same with our students. And so it's a a success story with, I'm gonna call him Ted. He is reading pretty fluently right now. It's not perfect, we still have a lot of work to do, but but he's a reader, he's a reader. And we're reading Born a Crime by Trevor Noah. Um, And so, and he's listening to the audio book um, At the same time, that's how he practices before we read, but he doesn't memorize the chapter. And so if I had started just with a focus on the parts, like the word work that he needs, which he definitely needs and which we're doing, I would have lost him. That's number one. And number two is that we started with a whole story, a whole text, a whole book. And that is really, really critical. And, And one of the questions you had asked me, it's the biggest change that teachers make in their beliefs and it's the hardest one it takes years i think for it to happen um is to move from a um, part to whole everything in pieces to a whole part whole we are starting with the whole child for goodness sakes the whole story so that when you break it into pieces it makes sense so that shared writing i talked about like if we were taking that book outside inside doing a shared writing on it What was it like for you inside during the pandemic? You know, um, we're starting with the whole of it. Then we can zero in on the parts. Let's look at this sentence. Let's look at this word. I can highlight that word with a sliding mask or on a whiteboard. How does it start? But if we start with the pieces, we lose a lot of kids. A colleague wisely said to me many years ago, it's when when you focus on the parts in isolation, It's like putting a hundred piece puzzle down on the floor and never showing the learner the lid of the box, right? How how can they figure this out? But you've got to see, and this is especially true for multilingual learners. You have to know why you're learning what you're learning otherwise why bother? So you have to give them the big picture, the vocabulary what the success criteria is, what it's going to look like, all of that. So, you save your samples from kids writing from the years before. This is what it might look like, you know, all of that. Um, so, here. <laughs> so, that engagement part is so, so huge, and that trust. Um, and that's the only way you get the sustainable learning to have a whole school where teachers trust each other, they're learning from each other. They're engaged in professional learning every week. They meet by grade level, let's say three weeks out of four, and then once a week they meet by school in vertical teams. And that it, that was that's been the that was the major work of my career career that I did with Heinemann. So take a look at it. Um, it's called Transforming Our Teaching Through Reading Writing Relationships is one big project. Through um, Writing for Audience and Purpose is another one and then reading to understand. And I think people are at a point now where they believe that we're we're not going to be able to teach all the kids we need to teach unless we have deep, smart, embedded professional learning going on in our schools and district. And you know, we don't work anymore with a school where the superintendent's not involved. Wow. I learned that the hard way. <laughs> I knew I had to get the principles. But the superintendent would come by when we were teaching and stand in the doorway, hot, what wave? Oh, it's so nice to have you here this week. And that would be about, about it. Right. But the superintendent has the power. And so where things have gone well, the superintendent, this has been especially true in Winnipeg, with just some champion superintendents um, that are. You know, that, that observe the res- residency that spend time in classrooms, right. that has made a very huge difference. You know, the, the whole notion that all principals and leaders have to know literacy, have to know literacy, yes. right? Yeah. So so the engagement part, you know, and so at the way the book is set up, um, I give you a lot of the research, but in an easy to read way. It's not it's not bo- it's not bogged down in the text. Um, but you can access that research. I've got like 20 pages of hyperlinks. So you can access it and there's are short research articles and short blogs um, that you can print out or read online. And this is something that we this was very, very important to me. It has to be research based, of course. Right. But it has to be human based. First of all, <laughs> you know, I'm not going to get into the science of reading, but I think because, of course, I do believe in the scientific part of reading, but that's not enough. I believe first in this person that I'm teaching, these human beings, these unique creatures that we need to dignify their intelligence and their interests and, and uh, improve the quality of their lives. That is really front and center for me in my teaching. I do embed all the science, but that that is um, just one piece of it. Just one piece of it. We're teaching people, we're teaching readers. We're not just teaching reading we're teaching writers we're not just teaching writing right? right i know i know you you believe in all that and so um so that's engaged that that the engagement part and um it's just i think it's everything um i and and if you don't have that then you need to ask what's wrong here why why, why is this not working and really do an analysis it was interesting to me that um, in a residency I did a couple of years ago, um, the teachers were shocked. Um, I had a class of about 25, 30 they were second and third graders, and there were about 30 people, including a superintendent and principal several principals watching. And the kids were just wiggling all over the place. I don't remember exactly what the lesson was, but it was a shared writing and they could have cared less. I mean, I had met with the teacher we had planned together, and it wasn't working for whatever the reasons. It doesn't matter. And so I stopped the lesson and I said, Hey kids, you know, this is not working. I don't know why it's not working, but we're going to shift gears and let's let's try this. And the teachers were the reason I know they were shocked, I wasn't looking at them. My eyes were completely focused on the kids. Right. But at the end of the week and the evaluations, that was the thing they talked about most. You changed your lesson plan. Yes, because I'm teaching children. I'm not just teaching the curriculum, I'm teaching children and they were not engaged. And so why would I go on? So, you know, I, I use that as, but that was just like a shock. And for me, that was just like common sense. But I mean, I've been teaching a long time. So, you know, this is why the professional learning is so, so critical. And I think people say, well, I don't have time for that. <clears throat> Excuse me. You have to, if, if you, we make time for our priorities. And so if you're not involved in professional learning, it's not a priority. And I would urge you make it a priority because that's, you know, for me in teaching Ted, I had to use everything I knew. There was no formula. There was nobody to tell me how, I had to figure it out. Well, it's like that for all of us in the classroom. Now, the fact that I'm I'm a reading recovery teacher, a reading specialist that I've taught reading, you know, for over 40 years, I knew that I'd be able to figure it out. I had that confidence. I had the confidence with those children also, this isn't working, but hey, I know a lot. (laughs) I can figure this out and they'll help me, you know? Um, And so that's why the the professional learning piece, I can't emphasize enough. And without the, and I I think also we have to have the trust knowing that we did a great job with these kids in seventh grade and when they go on to eighth grade, that there's that professional trust, which is different than personal trust. That this teacher is going to take them to the next, you know, the next steps where they need to be, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that doesn't happen without professional learning and without shared beliefs across a whole school and a district. That's a whole other thing, a um, very big thing. But so the engagement thing was very huge to me. And then I would say, but I'm doing all the talking, and Tom, you no, need please, to. No, please,
0: no, no, please keep going. <laughs> no, this is. It, 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 we're just sitting.
1: <laughs> The equity piece was everything to me, and that was the hardest part to write, honestly, because I didn't know enough about equity, and so I had to study. Um, but I knew more than I thought. So um, I started off my career. My first book, Transitions from Literacy to from from Literacy to Literature, oh, from Literature to Literacy, <laughs> um, was was published in 1988, and that grew out of um, I was teaching at a school that was almost 100 percent. Um, I would say, well, they were 100% underserved, I I would have to say, but almost all the students were um, from poverty, uh, African-American, and they were failing to learn to read, and I was working as a reading specialist at that time, and they were using contrived text, and they were using worksheets and skills in isolation, and at the end of first grade, something like 60% of the kids were failing in reading. And so I wrote a proposal. Talk about advocacy! I wrote a proposal and presented to the superintendent to flood a first grade classroom with children's literature. And big books had just come into the United States, and we might have been one of the first classrooms that had them. And so we used big books, journal writing. I learned about writing from study Donald Graves and um, Donald Murray at that time, Lucy Hawkins, um, Nancy Atwell. I was reading, if I wasn't reading and studying, I couldn't have done it. So this is really, really important that we are readers, that we are writers, right? The parents were invited into the classroom. We had no worksheets. We had had a children's library. We had, um, if we didn't have bilingual books, we wrote them. So they were bilingual. So it was a very joyful place. And guess what? At the end of the year, their reading scores matched Or exceeded the reading scores of of kids in the white kids in the other schools, right? And then people paid attention. The principal said to me at the time, "Okay, Regie, you've got one year for this." Well, they were desperate. It wasn't so much that they believed I could do it, but okay, we'll give her a year. We'll see what happens. (laughs) I didn't, and that was the support that I got. It wasn't like they were in there, you know, kind of cheering me on. I was doing this with a co teacher, co first grade teacher, Karen Shiva. But we were so wildly successful um, that then when, when uh, it came time to adopt another reading series, they were like, wait a minute. Look what's going on here. We brought this. We went from first grade to second grade to third grade. We went total literature base. Um, so there was no core reading program anymore. There was no um, there, w- there were no worksheets. It was all this authentic teaching. And this was quite unusual that many years ago. And so that's when I wrote my first book. I'd never written anything. But uh, the equity piece was so huge to me then. So huge to me then. Because who were the kids that were getting a rotten education? Exactly. It was the Black kids. And this is still this is still true today. Right. And, and the schools are resegregating. And so that became um, just kind of, you know, I, I, I feel like I, uh, an equity champion, you know, in, in all the work that I've done, equity has been you know, front and center. So the equity part of the book, um, so the first part of the book is engagement. The second part is excellence. Um, and the third part, equity, and this is really hard, but this is when I talk about a section on making high expectations, instructional reality, reaching all learners, applying responsible assessment, which a lot of that is formative and self-assessment that the kids do developing self-determining learners and advocating for students. You know, so all of that, and how does that happen? And then in the book, what I do is I, I write about just kind of the the research on that particular area that I'm focusing on. Then I have a a section and most of the book is this called Take Action, where it's strategies, it's um, language to use, it's um, approaches. And you could talk, I mean, it's hard for me to talk about my own book, but you just read it. (laughs) And I, so I. it's very practical. So you would be able to go, you would be able to go and actually do this with your students. Right? Right. I I love the book because it, it,
0: every single chapter has lists of ideas and you go into, you list them out, but then you provide quick brief ideas. Of what to do I guess it's not like a prescriptive thing where we say you must do this here's a process follow. this is step one step two step three here's an acronym go do it would you really very few times did you ever do that um, the rest of the book was just like here are some lists of ideas go find a path that works for you in your context and go with that as long as you stay with the concept of equity excellence and
1: engagement That's right, and um, I think it has to be that way. I think, you know, I've been in schools where everybody's expected to be on the same page in that particular program, and you better have it written on the board. That is horrible, you know? You have to find a way around that. You know, just take your program that you have to use that has some, hopefully, some good parts and use the good parts and close your door and teach what you know you should be teaching and skip the parts that are just a waste of time. We can't waste kids' brains right. their intellects it's too important, right. especially now, you know, with everything um, and the book ends and, and it ends um and it was a kind of i added it later um after I had finished the book, but about how important it is civic engagement and being an informed citizen and um kids gra- you know kids are graduating high school still and they don't know how their government works. Right. they don't and and we have to, you know, like here in the U.S., where we have this big voter suppression, it's only going to be from people that are informed and that are advocates, and they have to be informed advocates. They have to know what their rights are. That's your curriculum, you know. Your curriculum is the world around you, and and the standards will be there. You can fit them in there, but you want to graduate kids that are. Um, able to participate in the world in a way that is not just all about them, but that makes a difference, right? I mean, that's what we've learned with the pandemic. It's not just about us. You have to do things that are going to, your behavior affects others. And so we as teachers have a unique responsibility to to not waste kids' times and not waste their brains uh, because they can all learn. They may learn differently, but they can all learn. And they know when we believe in them. Yes. Right. They absolutely know that. Um, Okay. But when we we talk about equity, I want to be sure we're on the same page. And I believe equity means that each learner receives what he or she needs to develop his or her academic and social potential. So it's giving kids what they need. And I would say what they're interested in and starting and starting with starting with that. that. doesn't happen in a lot of places. And that includes the social emotional, right? Yes. Which is not a separate curriculum. No. It is part of everything that we do, that kids no. feel included, that we celebrate their names and their culture and their family no. and their history and make that a joyful part of the classroom community. And I think because we're in summer and people are going to be starting school, and I think in, in most places, hopefully, it will be kind of in-person school one way to start with the engagement piece and the equity piece and the um, putting it all together is to turn some of the power over to the kids. I yes. mean, I, in, the, in the States, I know teachers will spend like a week getting their classroom all ready, Right. And they've got the, the bulletin boards done and it looks beautiful. But it's like, welcome to um, my classroom. You are your occupiers, your tenants here this year. And what we really want, we want an extra week of vacation at the end of summer. Welcome to our classroom. Now I have that one bulletin board where I have all your names there um, and maybe pictures or whatever, um, but, but I have all these other walls. Um, how are we gonna use them? You know, We might wanna have one for our, for our special writing and for our um, rules and routines, which we'll we'll figure out together. Welcome to our classroom. That makes a huge difference. Um, and then I, I would say what I call prime real estate. Think about your prime real estate in your classroom. What do you have on the walls? Is it mostly by kids? It should be mostly created by we, the people. You know, the the, the occupants of the classroom, not not all the um, commercial charts that you can buy that nobody ever looks at. And they're written <laughs> in academic vocabulary right. and the centerpiece of your room, which I hope you'll make beautiful with the kids help, um, is the classroom library. Yes. That's everything. That's everything is the classroom library and you want to be organize it with the children that they know where all the books are, that they label the book bins that you have, um, multilingual books, you know, you have books in their first language, um, all of that. And they know what's there, they know how to find it. And that is the, I believe the centerpiece of the classroom, no matter what grade you are teaching, the classroom library. And let me just give a plug for, I've become along with probably another hundred um, literacy people, a uh, literacy champion for, a new endeavor called bring me a book so bring lowercase bringmeabook.org is in have you heard of it no i haven't oh okay see and so you're going to want to know about that and um bringmeabook.org in coordination with bookalicious which is bookalicious.com and there's an e there not an i in the middle of that and look that up because what that is is um a fabulous two fabulous organizations that are seeking to um get rid of book scarcity yes and move to book abundance and so kids get to choose books that they can actually own for their home library which most of them don't have to start a home library and for school libraries so it's all about equity it's totally fabulous check it out (laughs) if you're listening um Delicious. and i have notes on that and i can't find them because we're having a real conversation and this is the thing um teachers and everybody who's listening i'm always very well prepared but i go off script because of what's happening around me right Todd and i are actually looking at each other um which is nice because we hadn't we hadn't actually met even though that you'll be hearing this and so, in a real conversation, it's not step one, step two, step three, which right, is kind right, of, right. you know, how my notes are organized because you gave me a whole bunch of questions.
0: Right. Yeah, I, I have actually. I usually when I podcast, I have two screens: the Zoom screen and then the question screen. Yeah. I have closed the question screen, <laughs> and I am just <laughs> listening to you because you're saying, right. "I
1: think that's great." Right. I think that's just, great.
0: Well, when you're, you're when you're in the presence of a master, you just listen.
1: Oh. You know, I don't feel like a master. I feel like a, I always call myself a learner teacher because teaching is so humbling. It's so hard. Right. So I don't know that you I don't feel masterful. I feel competent. I certainly feel competent. I feel knowledgeable. Right. Um, but I'm always learning. So um and I'm and I'm mostly learning from the kids, the people that I'm teaching, right? They they will humble you very quickly. Right, right. Yeah. I think
0: what the re- why I'm I am i am almost getting teary because I'm thinking about you and I'm like I I, and I know now why people love you because of the, the down-to-earth message that you give to teachers. You say, "Listen, I understand how there are programs out there that devalue you as teachers. They see you as cookie cutters." That's true, right? But you're really you're you're, essentially, you're literally essentially saying, "Stop! Stop treating kids like cogs. Stop treating teachers like cogs. Let's give them back their freedom to explore. Let's." Think about the assessment.
1: And their dignity. I think it's about dignity. How are teachers are not treated with dignity and respect. Exactly.
0: And you're giving them the respect back that they always have been looking for.
1: Well, they deserve it. I mean, we're all in this together. Well, maybe because of um, you and I had talked and I think podcasts go on too long because everybody's very busy. Maybe we should just kind of um you're, you're looking at me like oh my god but yeah, honestly you can, you can keep going because people what because people, people I, I want to be respectful of people's times and right. i know how long that i can um you know sit for a podcast and and actually on my website if you have a question you can um and and you can email me and you'll find me on twitter and that's right. how i by the way find a lot of my research and you know i love the educational twitter community it's been right. great for me
0: um, can we talk about one of the features of your, of your book that I love the, most? Sure. the, the, the interwoven stories of your oh, families, yeah, let's, right? I mean, like, we can't, I mean, just this whole podcast, like already we've learned so much and been so inspired by you, but they the stories that really make, I felt like I was in your
1: home. Yeah. At, in I'm your so glad you said point. that. I'm so glad you said that. And that has been sort of a long time coming because I was. I, was a, I didn't become a reader till I was a teenager. It was my grandmother reading aloud to me, and I tell that story, and that influenced me. And working with um, Ted, the adult learner, has influenced me um, in terms of he had to choose all the books. I chose them initially. No, 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 no. He had to choose. It was only when he chose that he really got engaged, and then he was willing to work on the word work with that also. So that choice is so... Um, critical. And so the stories, um, I interwove the stories in the book, because that's what history is. I mean, you know, it's his story and her story. And our stories um, define us. And sometimes they limit us and sometimes they expand us. And in schools, I think we have devalued stories of kids from poverty, English language learners, different cultures, right? disrespectful right. and so one of the power the power for me of stories is that you can get to rewrite your story i think a lot of teachers and especially in schools that have been um resegregated they've right. already have that fixed story of that child right right, right. certainly that true for for Ted. He was in special ed. He wasn't expected to graduate high school right, because of the label. So you treat you treat them differently, right? right? Um, a book that I just finished called How the Word World is How the Word is Past, a reckoning with the history of slavery across America. It's by Clint Smith. It's absolutely fantastic. And it's all about stories. He he goes into five different places in America. New York City surprisingly being one of them and looks at the history of slavery. And one of the questions that he raises in the book is, what if the stories that we've heard and been led to believe are wrong? Right, think about that. So it's the stories that we tell ourselves and sometimes those stories are limited by what others have told us and the way they see us. If the stories we read aloud, the stories we um, write for ourselves and for others, that is a huge part of who we are and of just living in the world. It's all about story. So I wove the stories, um, um, and some of them are quite personal, but they, but even when it's, when it's a very personal story, there's a, there are points made that relate to teaching and learning. Exactly. Okay. So here's what I, what, here's what I've learned in my life. Um, that is, um, that I can now take into teaching. And so one of those, um, one of those things is, I do know gonna talk about this, is generosity. So I think teaching is about generosity in the sense that how can I help this child or this teacher become his truest self, right? That might mean that, um, okay, he didn't turn in his homework this day, but maybe there was a, something going on at home. Let's give him another chance. So the question that I'm asking myself all the time In all my relationships, including with my husband, what is the most generous thing I can do at this time? Oh, I love that. What's the most generous thing I can do at this time? And um, that is a really terrific question for becoming, I think, a better teacher, a better partner, you know, a better friend, because we lead complicated lives. And so let's cut our students a break. They lead complicated lives. And so yes, you can rewrite that paper, yes, I'll have so-and-so work with you to help you. You know, I I believe to my core that uh, as teachers, we are about, um, you know, let me show you how to do this, you know, or do your, you do your very best. And certainly this has been my message with Ted, you do your very best, I'll help you with the rest. And that's the generosity part. You do what, just do everything you can. I will help you with the rest, and mean it. Now that might not mean me particularly, but it might mean I'm going to have somebody partner read with you. Okay. I I want the principal to see what you've done today. You know, people have to feel good about themselves before they can um, make other others feel feel good. You know, it's 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 where the joy comes from. Um, so the, Some of the other things that you'll see in the book is um, there's a free website. You know, if you, you don't have to buy the book, I mean, I hope you will, but there's a free website and there are podcasts there, um, there's um, expanded table of contents, there are excerpts from the book so you could try it out. There's a lot there. It's very rich. Um, and um, also very important to me was you have hyperlinks for all these articles that you can read and they're short and it'll make you a better teacher. And you can bring those into into your school and say, let's talk about this this week. There's a lot to choose from. Um, I would say um, more storytelling. Oh, and then with the storytelling, what I did was um, I recorded my stories. And so you'll see those if you go on my website and you'll see the book right there, and then you'll see the link to the stories. And um, that makes a difference when you can hear the story, I think, in the storyteller's voice. Right. That's and, good- but look, look at the power of what you can bring into the classroom with that. You know, kids don't just have to do paper and pencil. They could tell their story or their assignment through video, through multimedia, through a podcast with a friend, you know, there's so many things. And I think, um, you know, some of the lessons that I've learned that the most important um, more choice more choice in topics and how the room is set up in what kids are interested in. Um, and I would say also less is more don't try to cover so much, you know, a couple of big significant things is plenty <laughs> I'll make it easier on yourself. Um, and I would say, you know, celebrating strengths and efforts is is. Um, is really important, and I think the most important thing is um, to love your students, honestly. Now, there's a story here. I I wrote in the book about bonding with your students, and I think we would all agree with that, but I wouldn't have said, until I started working with Ted, that love your students, that wouldn't have come out of my mouth, but it does now, and here's why, here's why. Because when I was working with Ted, he would start when we, after about six months or so, we'd sign off, and he would say, He would say, peace. Thank you. I love you. Oh, Oh. (laughs) and so what was I going to respond to that? Well, I said, I love you too. And I do, I do love him. We've become friends. And then I thought, well, what does that mean? It means that I care deeply about him. Okay. That's how I'm defining love. I see him. Mm. It's not just like, I love you, which people can say, I see you. I know who you are. I'm going to do right by you. You know, um, So I think when I'm saying, and so I think this is really this deep caring, this commitment um, and having the courage to love your students and do what's right and best for them, not central office, does take a lot of courage, right? And then finally, I think um, self, which we haven't talked about at all, and I didn't write about it, but because we've all been through this pandemic, self-care, love yourself, be good to yourself right? So, um, you know, today, I'm going to be making a fruit tart for my husband. And I'm, I'm, a, I'm a good baker. And he he, lo- he loves my fruit tarts. Okay, I'm going to be reading starting a novel, I'm going to be doing things for me taking a walk, we can't just be working, working, working all the time, because we burn out. You know, talking to a friend, right? Um, and so, you know, it's it's been a gift for me, Tom, that we met through Twitter, <laughs> and then to have this opportunity with you. And you let me do all the talking. I feel guilty about that. Um,
0: <laughs> no need, so, again, in the presence <laughs> of a master, you just sit no, and listen.
1: No, just, just an educator who's deeply committed, as you are, and as our listeners are. Right. We're all in this together.
0: Well, Richie, I'm going to end the podcast. I could have gone out could have gone for more like hours. I could do this twice on Sunday with you. It's just so it's really it really is like you're tapping into a source, which is your decades of work and commitment and advocacy and professionalism, and you're sharing that out. And you're just sharing just a little bit so far, but the little bit that you've shared with us is filling my cup and is now
1: overflowing. And, you're very kind. Well, and I'm so grateful for this opportunity and to have not only met you in person, but your darling nieces.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I will ne- I will never forget that. I, can I end with this, pa- with this part? I usually end with the uh, traffic light teaching, red light, yellow. Sure, it might, hey,
1: it's your podcast. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, you're a guest. Well, I will not a- ask that, but I'll, a- I'll ask this question instead. I only reserve this question for the most prolific in our field, and that's you. Uh-oh. <laughs> uh oh. <laughs> on uh, Oprah Super Soul Sunday, she always, uh, or her, her column, her Oprah O column, she talks about uh, this I know for sure. Mm. After your decades of work, what do you know for sure about working
1: with students? This I know for sure that if kids know and teachers that we value them, that we care about them, what they can accomplish is way beyond what they thought and what we thought. Um, I think that would be number one. I, I guess also, I know for sure that everyone is capable in some way, and we need to find their gifts and let them help them shine. You know, everybody has has gifts. You know, their particular gifts. What else do I know for sure? I know for sure that generosity is way more important than dinginess. That generosity of the heart will take you a long way um, and will endear you to people. And I think with generosity comes forgiveness and um, just um, people do the best they can. And so our job is to love them and accept them and support them as best we can. And this I know for sure about you, Todd. <laughs> you are a very generous, smart, kind person. And I my life is enriched knowing you from a, the communications that we've had. And so I'm grateful for that. Gratitude, I think, is very important. And so I'm grateful to you. Thank you.
0: You said, what is the most generous thing that we can do? Mm-hmm. You, By writing this book, it is the most one of the most generous things you have done for our field oh, taking thank you 40 such- years of work and just giving it to us here.
1: Thank so, you. Right.
0: In the field there are essential you you call this book literacy essentials and I say there are essential teachers out there and you're one of them.
1: Wow, well, that's very kind. <laughs> there are a lot of there are a lot of really outstanding teachers out there. Thank you well, so much.
0: Thank you so much. Before we recap this episode, I have a favor and an invitation. My favor is to ask you to please review this podcast if you found it valuable so that teachers like you become inspired and informed in their advocacy work. My invitation is for you to enroll in my scaffolding learning or teacher collaboration courses. I've taken the principles that I've learned from experts in the field I've applied them to my classes. I kept the things at work and am sharing all of them in these courses. I hope you consider enrolling. Now onto our recap. When you listen to this podcast again, you will hear how much Rigi sounds and acts like a language specialist. The things she talked about, such as creating joy in the classroom, seeing students for their assets, working with colleagues to maximize students' potential, and teaching with an equity lens. These are all the things we do as language specialists. I hope you return to this podcast again and again to let Riji remind you that the magic is already in you. If you ever need to borrow her belief in you, come back to this episode. Thank you for listening. I'll see you soon, be safe, and be rooted in peace. It's your turn to play Traffic Light Teaching. Tweet at me either your red, yellow, or green light from this particular episode.
1: Your beautiful smile.